Merry Christmas, adventure friends and family. Yeah, the one o'clock service. Don't you love it? Yes, yes. If you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of several pastors on staff. I'm surrounded by a lot of uh, people that will ensure here that you know you matter. It's a high value for us that you know you matter. And tonight, this afternoon, we're going to answer a question that a lot of Americans are asking this time of year. How do we not fear? How do we not fear uh, this time of year? And I remember as a seven-year-old being told that Santa could be seen on the western horizon of my hometown. And I was so excited. I'm like, we are going to see him tonight. I'm going to do everything I can to ensure I get to see Santa. And so my mom put together some homemade chocolate chip cookies, and I thought, for sure, he'll want to hang out and eat those. He likes cookies. It's obvious he'll eat them. And so we put them out, and late... In the evening or early morning, I don't remember, he was upstairs. I had a downstairs bedroom. He was upstairs near the kitchen where our Christmas tree was, and I was scared. No, I chickened out. I wanted to go see him. I I so badly wanted to see Santa for the first time, but it was such an overwhelming uh, thought to see him face to face. I got scared. I put my head under the covers and waited till the morning. And then I had to wait another year before I might have that opportunity again. You know, we we say we're not afraid, but even as parents, we have things we're afraid of this time of year. Uh, Here are the top three things Americans are afraid of tonight. Uh, Number three, we're afraid of sleeping in a bed that's not our own tonight. Some of you have traveled. And you've been offered the, the new cushion bed that, you're, that their 12-year-old enjoys, and you're concerned about a good night's sleep. Other of us, others of us are afraid of that Christmas gift we're going to get, clothes that don't fit. And the line we have to go get in at Kohl's to get, uh, to get, to tr- to get something that does fit, only to discover that what was purchased is now on clearance and our cash power is just over a dollar, dollar nineteen, dollar twenty, that helps us buy some gum and enjoy Christmas. And then the biggest fear that we're all facing, except the young people, is we all know <laughs> that we're going to get fat. <laughs> In fact, we've already started. How many of you are proud to say you're already headed that direction this December? Yeah, the rest of you not so honest today in the house of God, are you? <laughs> We are, we, we have fears, and, and what we've learned about fear, fear of snakes, fear of spiders, fear of tigers, fear of lions, oh my, what we've learned about fear is this, we fear because we put our trust and our hope in someone or something else besides God. That's what we've been talking about all month. We fear because we put our trust in someone or something else besides God. How do we not fear? Before I get to the story that, that tonight and tomorrow is all about, I want to read to you an anonymous story that helps us understand why God gave us his son in a manger. Maybe you can relate to this story. Flurries of snow swirled on a chilly Christmas Eve. Standing at the front window, a man waved as his wife and children drove away to attend the candlelight service. 
he couldn't understand all this fuss about Jesus. Alone, he busied himself decorating the family tree. Suddenly, he heard a thump against the window, and then another thump, and another thump, thump. He looked out, and there, shivering on the ground outside the window, lay several tiny sparrows, attracted by the light and warmth outside. They were trying to get in. Touched, the man went to the garage, turned on the light, and opened the door. The birds didn't move. He got behind them and tried to shoo them in. They scattered. He made a trail into the garage and uh, crumbling some crackers. They wouldn't budge. The sparrows wouldn't move towards comfort, towards light, towards safety. He was frustrated as it sank into him that he was a giant compared to these sparrows, an alien creature who terrified the little birds. Why couldn't he make them understand that what he wanted more than anything was to help them? How does he communicate with these sparrows? Disheartened, the man went back inside and stared out the window at the frightened little birds. Then, like a bolt of lightning, a thought struck him. If only I could become a little bird myself. (laughs) Did you hear that? If only I could become, he says, a little bird myself for just a moment. Then they wouldn't be afraid. And I could show them how to find warmth and safety. Just then, it dawned on him. Now I understand. That's why Jesus came to the earth. So that we wouldn't be afraid, but we would know who to go to for warmth and comfort and light. That story helps us understand the story that we're going to feature tonight. The story that tells us, do not be afraid. I'm going to read from one of Jesus' early followers who was a sharp guy. He was a doctor that had a unique gift with details. And he shares with us exactly what happened that night over 2,000 years ago. This is what he wrote. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And those shepherds, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He will, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's what the angel and the shepherds said. They were, they were, these shepherds were terrified. And the angel told them, don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid. How do we, how do we not fear? Uh, Americans, we're afraid. We're afraid of heights. We're afraid of small spaces. Uh, we're afraid of snakes. We're afraid of mice and anything that shouldn't belong in a house, right? Uh, we get afraid. But you know, there are other things that are Americans are afraid of. More serious things this year. Americans are afraid of government officials. <laughs> yeah. Americans are afraid of conspiracies. Americans are afraid of acts of terror. Americans are afraid of uh, financial volatility. Americans are afraid of rejection. Like anyone, they're afraid of loneliness. Uh, we're afraid of uh, failure. We're afraid of death, of course. <laughs> How do we not fear, really? And what is in this story that we're looking back on 2,000 years ago? What does it have to say to us about some of our deepest fears? And the reason I wanted to speak to this tonight is as we, as we go into Christmas and uh, we eight days or so later we get ready for the new year, a lot of families make a lot of decisions. They make decisions about the future of their families. They make decisions about their finances. They make decisions about what their prayerful hopes are, what they, uh, they want to do next year. And if fear is a part of that, it could really hold you back from experiencing what you were born to experience and do. How would you like to not fear? to make decisions this Christmas, to make decisions this new year that are not based on fear, but they're based on joy and hope? How would you like to not make decisions based on fear, but instead to make decisions based on joy, on hope, and on becoming whom God intended you to be? How would you like that? How do you not fear? What the angel said to the shepherds was, is captured in just a phrase. Do not be terrified, I bring you good news. Do not be terrified, I bring you good news. In the old King James language, it sounds like this. <laughs> behold, do not be terrified, behold, I bring you good news. It's like the author saying, if you're afraid, you're not beholding. If you're beholding, you're not afraid. Or another way of looking at it is, if you're looking to Jesus, you're not afraid. If you're not looking to Jesus, you're afraid. You're even sore afraid. How do we not fear? I want to suggest this maybe easier phrase uh, that was pretty popular in the 90s, as I recall it. Here it was. No Jesus. No fear. No Jesus, no fear. 
if you know Jesus, who, who made his way through every challenging obstacle of fear, as I'll show you, you have the opportunity to live without paralyzing fear. If you choose to not know Jesus, if you choose to reject him, to marginalize him as just a fable uh, without doing the homework yourself, then you may be very vulnerable to really knowing and experience fear like it wasn't intended for you to experience. How do we do this? I think you've got to look at the story. And you've, you've no doubt heard the story for centuries. But if you're going to know Jesus, what do you need to know? Let's talk about knowing the God of perfection. Know the God of perfection. Know this Jesus who lived such a perfect life, a life that we ourselves could never live. He was so perfect, we we could never hope to live at his level or his standards. And that was the purpose, so that we wouldn't put our hope in our own works, our own own religious rule-keeping. Jesus was the end of rule-keeping. Jesus lived a perfect life so that when he suffered on that cross someday, we would put our trust not in anything we can do, but on what he got done on that cross. Know the perfect one, Jesus, and free yourself of having to be a perfectionist. <laughs> free yourself of the perfect Christmas, the perfect gifts, the perfect food, the perfect yard. And if you're struggling with perf- the perfect kitchen, let me throw that in. <laughs> and if you're struggling with perfection, personally, <laughs> watch your step, but walk into the manger maternity ward. And see the perfect one be born in total imperfection, in, in total uh, unsterilized area. <laughs> know the perfect one and experience no fear. Know the one who felt abandoned by family. Are you experiencing maybe a little separation from family that you didn't imagine this time of year? You want the comfort of family, but they're not there. Know Mary and Joseph, who are in their hometown, their Natomas, that dates back for their family a thousand years. It's really their hometown. They know where the new donut store is in their hometown. It's small enough, everybody's talking about it, okay? And, uh, and know Jesus, know Joseph and Mary, who are in their hometown, with hundreds of family without the thoughtfulness of opening a guest home for their niece or great-granddaughter and nephew who are delivering. Know what it's like to feel lonely without family and see the comfort and the friends that God sends to Mary and Joseph. Know this God. Know the vulnerability of financial volatility that Mary and Joseph experienced. Know the God who is a helper to those who depend on him financially. For it's Mary and Joseph who will go to Jerusalem on the eighth day after Jesus' birth, and they'll offer the blue-collar, the very low-income gift of turtle doves to the priests uh, for their firstborn son. There wasn't a cheaper gift available. It's all they could afford. Know Mary and Joseph who trusted in God to be their helper their provider in a time of need. 
Know Mary and Joseph. Know their God. Know Mary and Joseph's vulnerability to a conspiracy, a real conspiracy. It's not just talk. It's, it just wasn't on the BBC News app that, that Joseph carried around. But it truly was a conspiracy where little Herod the Great, that little four-foot-something evil little thing, was indeed trying to find their son Jesus because he was a threat to his throne in Jerusalem. It was a true government official looking for the child born. And see God protect Joseph and Mary by sending another angel to Joseph in a dream and telling him, hey, take a southwest flight down to Egypt and get away for a couple years. Know a true God who protects from conspiracy. And finally, know a God. Know a God who has your best in mind. A God who will make certain that you're living in a place that's the safest for your family. For him, for Joseph and Mary, it was the obscurity of Nazareth where Jesus could be raised and no one would see that he was different, that he could outrun a train, that he could fly and could kick a a football over 20 miles. No one ever knew him because of the obscurity of where he lived. Our God cares about where we live. He cares about our families being cared for. Do you know that kind of God? Finally, know the God who protects us when we're facing terrifying death potential. Mary and Joseph are in their teens, and they're facing death. Mary facing death because it looks like she's broken the very strict law of betrothal. She's pregnant outside of marriage. She could have, she faced death sentence by her community. She and Joseph are the maternity ward. (laughs) You can see that it probably was Joseph who cut the umbilical cord. It was probably, it was Mary who wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths. Do you see their courage in the face of what we all fear sometimes the most, death? They had it. They didn't have fear. How do you know this kind of courage, this kind of joy in the midst of difficulty? It's this way. You know Jesus. You know you know no fear if you know him. Not that it won't creep upon you, but if you know him, fear is constantly on the downtrend. But if there's no Jesus in your life, how can you live fearlessly? Now you say, hey, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of dying. Some, some philosophers, Kubler-Ross, suggest that a, that, uh, that death is just an easy, easy transition. I've been at bedside with people who are dying, people that of faith and people not of faith. We weren't built to die. It's an awkward experience. I'm not looking forward to that moment. (laughs) People say they're afraid to die because they're afraid to face the judge. Hey, if you place your trust in the judge, Jesus, he's the judge. All judgment has been given to him. You place your trust in him, who paid the penalty to ensure all our wrongdoings were uh, forgiven by offering his substitutionary death, there's no fear of judgment. In fact, the, the scriptures teach that when we see Christ face to face, if you place trust in him, there is no judgment for you. That's the line I want to be in. You might say, you know what, I'm not interested in knowing God because I'm afraid that he's going to 
turn me into a boring, wretched human being that has to be weird and obnoxious uh, in our country. Let me tell you, I think if you submit your life to Jesus Christ, not this church, not religion, to Jesus Christ personally, he promises the greatest adventure and more adrenaline rush than you want. Let me just tell you that, okay? He'll challenge you the way you were designed to be challenged. Some of you think, you know what, I, I can't cross the line of faith. I don't want God to start telling me how to behave in the bedroom. I want the freedom to do what I want. Hey, let me tell you something. God knows you way better than you know yourself. You trust him with your personal life, your own personal intimacy, and you let him navigate your heart and make you the kind of person he designed you to be. In Jesus' ministry, when he grew up, he said this. He said, uh, do not be troubled. Don't be troubled. Another way to translate that is don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. How do we not fear? Uh, we, not, we don't fear because we realize that God made this young boy born in Bethlehem. He was God becoming a sparrow to us so that we wouldn't have to be afraid. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. What I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a Christmas this year where everything doesn't have to be perfect. Jesus already accomplished that in his life. Jesus already accomplished that on the cross. I want you to imagine a Christmas and a new year where you're not concerned about your finances. Just like Mary and Joseph were dependent upon God to provide, you acknowledge God as your provider. I want to encourage you to be of a mindset, imagine a mindset where you are trusting on God to lead you this year, whether you're facing unemployment, whether you're facing an undiagnosed uh, medical challenge, you trust God to lead you just like he did Mary and Joseph to the very obscure and safe Nazareth. I want to see you imagine this year you're not being afraid of conspiracy theories. You're not being afraid of government officials. They're all under God's authority. He can take them out any day he wants. <laughs> that might direct your prayers a little bit this Christmas. <laughs> I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid of your family that maybe you feel abandoned by. I want you to trust the family God's given you. In fact, between Christmas and New Year's, I want to challenge you to treasure every moment you have with your spouse and your parents and your grandparents, your brothers and sisters, your children, your nieces and nephews. Nephews, Treasure every moment you have with them because we just don't know when it will be our last and we'll have to wait till we see each other in glory. Imagine that kind of no-fear life. This is how it starts, with this prayer. Uh, this is a prayer that is taken right out of Holy Writ, and it's for people. It's a very simple prayer. You're in a church. It's an appropriate place to, prayer, to pray, and I want to give you this uh, as a consideration this afternoon. It's this prayer. Can I have a little help? <laughs> I believe Jesus is Lord. I'm acknowledging that all authority has been given to him. I believe Jesus is Lord. 
And he conquered the most challenging fear, raised from the dead. (laughs) I believe Jesus is Lord, raised from the dead. I'm going to lead you in that prayer in just a moment. You might be here thinking, I've not prayed in forever. Hey, guess what? You're at the right church to pray for the first time in a couple decades. We have a saying at this church, no perfect people allowed. So if you feel like you have it all together, you came to the wrong Christmas Eve service. Okay? This is a prayer where you personally say, hey, I believe Jesus is the sovereign. He's the king. All authority is given to him. I don't want to be fearful. I want to trust in him. And that was all based on his resurrection. And so we end by saying, raised from the dead. Maybe you pray this for the first time in your whole life. Here's the deal. You pray this prayer personally between you and God, and you set up opportunities so that you don't have to fear ever. I invite you now, no matter where you're from, if you came with a friend, grab a hand, uh, and uh, let's pray together very briefly. If you don't want to pray, don't pray. But if, if this Christmas message is Jesus is Lord in your heart, I, I encourage you to pray it with me. Let's bow our heads if you're comfortable with it. Heavenly Father, we simply say that we believe Jesus is Lord, raised from the dead. Let's do that together. I believe Jesus is Lord, raised from the dead. Help us not fear. And with every eye closed and every head down, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life to acknowledge Jesus Christ, between you and me alone, I want to acknowledge that you prayed that prayer with me. Would you just raise your hand from where you're seated? Raise it. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. I see other great others of you. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll help us experience the courage, the hope, and the joy that comes from not being afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.